birthday. <laughs> Welcome to the surge. It is great to see you here this morning. We are continuing our adopted series in the book of <laughs> Romans. And uh, today we're talking about change. We're in Romans 6, 7, and 8. And in all of Scripture, there's perhaps no better picture and recipe for change than that one. And we're going to talk about what it really means to step into effective change in our lives. Uh, the series talks to this specifically, but here's the thing. Here's the thing that I want to say. Don't give up, <laughs> right? This is an ongoing journey. It takes the rest of your life to really figure it out. Don't give up. Don't stop trying to find out how you walk into what it really means to be free and to be free in the spirit. This is the very heart of Christianity. Because see, the thing is, the battle we face within ourselves before Christ, we can't win. <laughs> but the battle after we meet him and we really get it, it's a battle we cannot lose. So how do we make the transition? Let me read uh, from Romans 7, and then we'll talk about some, some literature in a minute. <laughs> Romans 7, 1 through 6. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Um, it's an interesting thing. It's talking about two different, two different lives. And actually, if my lovely assistant would go ahead and come out here. Igor, come on. Isn't that, her name is not e her name is Evangeline. <laughs> yeah, all right. Not Igor Evangeline. Got it. Okay. So here. Go ahead and don your gloves. Safety first. All right, safety goggles. There you go. All right. So um I was reading an interesting book this week by Robert Lewis Stevenson. Um <laughs> Doctor The Amazing Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And um <laughs> one of the things that uh, Dr. Jekyll was captured by was the idea that got your safety goggles? Okay. Good. All right. Well done. All right. <laughs> was Dr. Jekyll was captured by this idea. He said that he was essentially two people, that there was two of them, that, and, and that they were at war. There was a good, a good side of him and a bad side of him. Yes, this is the good side. Um, and he had the idea that if he could somehow separate the two, that he would be a better person, that he felt like as a, as a good person, as a moral agent, he was being held back by his darker angels, and he had the idea that he could, if he could scientifically find the answer and separate the two, then he could get rid of the bad side that was holding him back, and that, that he could truly be a good person. He, he called himself an incongruous compound, right? It was really interesting. And he believed that the problem was the struggle. The problem was the struggle, that the source of all things bad was the struggle. If he could create a potion to separate out the bad, then he could neutralize the bad, he could minimize the bad, and the, the good would be free to do good things. So let's go ahead and start with our potion here. So go ahead and add some of that, if you would. Yeah, right in here. So 
He uh, actually worked on this. That's enough. He, that's enough. He worked on this for years. Just a little dash of this one, if you would. Created a potion, separate the thing. And this is the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's actually really a short book. It's about 80 pages long. Take you about an hour to read it. All right, that's well, a little bit more. Okay, that's, that's too much. I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that was predictable. All right, here you go. Give me, go ahead and give me the cap. <laughs> Can somebody get me a napkin or two? All right, that's okay. You're a fine little girl. All right. And actually, Edward Hyde was the first one. Whenever, whenever you made the potion, he separated out. Thank you. Go ahead and just... What? Yeah. Just a little bit. <laughs> he, he created the potion to separate himself out. It didn't go as planned. What happened was he separated himself out to Jekyll and Hyde. That's enough, little girl. We're good. And uh, here, add some of this in. And Edward Hyde was actually the first person to say that we don't actually do cocaine. We just like the way it smells. That was, that was his line. <laughs> so a little bit more. There you go. All right. And now a little bit of this one. But what happened was instead of setting Jekyll free to be a good person, Hyde started getting the upper hand. Hyde started uh, taking over, started doing horrible, awful things. All right. Now, I need you to get some uranium out of, out of this one. Just a little bit of uranium. Uh, out of this bag, just get a big, get a big piece. No, yeah, that's fine. Put it in there. The uranium, good. Excellent. And we'll, that's good, yeah. Is it supposed to smoke like that? <laughs> okay, good. All right. And uh, he eventually, Hyde started getting worse and worse. And when people met Hyde, <laughs> they said that uh, he was very disturbing. He was, uh, was not good. They said that he was possessed of some kind of deformity, even though they couldn't see anything physically wrong with him. Should I, should I drink this? <laughs> you guys are trying to kill me. Sure, drink it. Should I drink it? You, she doesn't think so. Oh, that's good. That's really good. Yeah, well done. But Hyde started getting worse and worse, right? Created the potion, he started getting worse and worse, and eventually actually uh, started stealing. He started taking advantage of people. He actually murdered somebody, literally beat somebody to death with a cane in the streets of London. And what was interesting was Hyde would go back to his house, would drink the potion and become Jekyll, and so he could get away with basically any crime with no accountability. And so he, he was possessed of these two things. <laughs> and here's the, here's the thing. Edward Hyde was completely selfish. Every act, every thought centered completely on himself. Whenever people met him, their flesh would crawl and they couldn't figure out why. And Stevenson's conclusion was this, that Hyde was so much more evil than he thought he would be. Expecting him to be a little bit bad, he could deal with him, but Hyde very quickly took over the, the circus. All right, I'm going I'm to release my assistant here. Thank you very much. You're very sweet. Can we give Igor a hand? I mean Evangeline a hand. Well then. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and eventually Hyde actually went to murder people. And, and, and Stevenson's conclusion is one that we see in, our, in ourselves. 
we, we have within ourselves a good and a bad, right? We're capable of amazing good. We're capable of amazing evil. And we see that with people, right? We could cure polio, but we also have a pirate in Las Vegas that's shooting folks, and that's bad. But we also see it within ourselves. But sometimes we don't really believe it. <laughs> like Jekyll, we don't really believe how bad Hyde is or how bad he can be. We don't really think we're all that bad. But Stevenson's conclusion was that Hyde was far more wicked than he, than he thought he would be. And certain situations in our lives come to remind us of how bad we can be. They act as a potion, right? We come under stress or we come under financial trouble. We're married to Bobby, right? And something happens and we lose control. Hyde comes out. Now, as a Christian, we have, the, we have these two things uh, going on. And, and it's interesting. But in this passage, he talks about the law, and he talks about the law as if we're married to it. And, and this is a fascinating thing, and this is important. Don't dump the law, right? The law is good advice, right? What does the law say? It says, it says, love God. It says, love your neighbors. It says, don't murder people, right? It says, don't covet. Honor your parents. This is good advice, right? This is a good way to live. If we can follow that list of to-dos, life will go better for us. It's important. Paul isn't saying, look, the law won't get you there, so dump the law. That's not what he's saying. Even in the metaphor, adultery is a thing, right? And it's important. It's part of the law. But we have to break free of the law to some extent without throwing the law away. Without turning our back completely on the law, we have to escape it in a way that is in itself, and get this, lawful. And that's what Jesus did. That, that's what the good news of the gospel does. Because Jesus died, he sets us free from the law in a way that is lawful. He, it, how he does it matters, right? He does it in a good way. And, and the metaphor is that even though the law is important, we must not be married to the law. And here's why. Whenever you're married, your spouse has a real gravity in the relationship, right? The power of the relationship of marriage, it reprograms us. It reprograms our self-image. If everybody else says, you are fat and ugly and stupid, but if your wife or your spouse or your husband says, no, no, you are beautiful. You have incredible value. I really love the way you do this and that. You're funny. I, I, lo I love all these things about you. It doesn't matter what everybody else says, right? They have more weight than, than everyone else. If your job mistreats you, if it lays you off, our tendency will be to feel worthless. But the words spoken to each other in marriage can mean more than the words of a bad boss. And the opposite is true as well. It's one of the most devastating things about an unhealthy marriage, about something that leads to divorce. Man, that wounding cuts deep, cuts really, really deep, because those words matter, and they matter deeply. Look, like Hyde, we underestimate how damaging an unhealthy situation can be. <laughs> Karen got back from tour, and we were binge-watching Stranger Things like many of you this week, and uh, remember in the Sean Astin's character, Bob, he's in the car talking to the little boy, Will, and he's giving him advice. He's giving him advice. He's saying, listen, you know, it's like I had a thing where there was this big, dark, terrifying thing, and you need to face it. You need to stand up to it and face it. And I'm literally, Karen, you know, I literally start yelling at the TV and I'm throwing stuff. No, don't face the dark. Do not fight this on your own. You're not equipped to, to do good things. It's terrible advice to, to face this kind of thing on your own. Don't try to take on Hyde in your own power by yourself. It's a bad, bad idea, right? It's a bad idea. 
So we underestimate Hyde. We underestimate how damaging he can be. We need God's help to get this done. The other thing we do with Hyde is we, we try to self-improve him, right? We try to self-improve him, but you can't talk to Hyde in this way. You can't reason with him. You can't argue him out of being evil and selfish. Listen, Hyde will kick Jekyll all the way across the schoolyard every time. Oprah is not going to fix Hyde, right? It's not, the way to, it's not the way to get it done. It's just going to aggravate Hyde if you preach to him and talk to him. So like Jekyll, what do we do? We try to focus more on Jekyll, right, to try to fix things. <laughs> we try to be more Jekyll. We try to focus on the good things. We try to be less selfish, and we try to get there on our own. Um, but we can't, we can't get there. We just can't get there. Um, in the story, a fascinating series of events, when, when Hyde actually murders somebody, Jekyll's like, okay, woo, that's enough, I'm done. And like he decides to make some changes, like no more potion, no more po- potion, done. No more potion, I'm not going to become Hyde anymore. But then he also says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on Jekyll. I'm going to focus on this moral improvement. And he, he tries to get rid of Hyde, and for a couple of months, it goes really well, right? There's no more Hyde. He's not actually beating people to death in the street anymore. That's good. <laughs> and, then, and he tries to focus on all these things, and he's very generous, and he's very religious, and he, he does all this stuff. And, and after a couple of months, there's this fascinating scene. And if you're writing a paper, this is the paper, this is the scene you're focusing on. He's sitting on a park bench. He's looking at the people in the park. He's thinking about the last couple of months and how much he's improved his station in life. And he's looking around at all the good stuff that he's doing and all these people who just walking by, how lazy they are and how unseeing they are and how much better he is than they are, right? And uh, he's kind of looking down on him a little bit. And right there on the bench, without a potion, he turns into Hyde. <laughs> it's a turning point of the story, and things go drastically downhill from there. But do you see the connection? This is the problem with being married to the law. If you're married to the law, right, you get your sense of self from performance. You're trying to prove yourself to God, to yourself, to other people based on your performance. Look at my adherence to this moral code, right? It's driven by fear. Your fear that you're going to be punished, your fear that you're going to get caught, or your fear that things are not going to go well for you somehow, or you feel that you fear that you're going to lose favor with God or people, but it's, it's driven by this motivation of, of other, and we do it because we're scared. You don't want to be hide, right? Like Jekyll, we don't want to be hide. We don't want to be caught or punished. We don't want our secrets published on CNN, but it's focused on self. This idea of the law and this approach is focused on self. Am I keeping the law? Am I good? <laughs> will, will God, you know, be mad at me? It's all about me. Do I deserve to be punished? I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to do the, the third thing. <laughs> but this is, this is the terrible part of it. Even if you win the game, you lose. Even if you become more moral than the next guy, when you start comparing yourself to him, you kind of become a Pharisee, right? You kind of start looking down on people and that in itself is bad. We can't adjust Hyde. We can't be married to the law. We can't self-improve him, right? He hates that section of Barnes and Noble. He'll lay down on the floor. He'll go limp like a toddler, or he'll, he'll dig his heels in. He'll do something else. Um, and, and we can't divorce the law, right? We don't want to turn our, turn our back on goodness and morality, because that would put us in the place of breaking the law. That isn't what God wants for us. The only way out. This is the only way out. It's death. It's death. And in Jekyll and Hyde, that's Jekyll's conclusion as well. Ultimately, it's really dark. It's really disturbing. Jekyll kills himself to stop Hyde because that was the only way he could get it done. Now, is, is, that, is that 
the Christian view of self, it, it's half the story. <laughs> it's, it's half a loaf. Hide really is bad. We can't just fix it on our own. We can't get there on our own. But the other half is good. Because see, we leave the marriage of law behind, but there's another side of the coin. There's another side of the story. And that's the good marriage. When we're able to set one marriage aside because the spouse is dead, that we're dead, you know, we're free to marry another. Death releases the bond. And because of what Jesus did, he died for us and we're joined with his death so that we can take that chapter of the past and close the door. We can set it behind and we're free to start a new marriage with grace, with Christ. And it's a healthy marriage. It's a good marriage. It's a wonderful thing. So what does that look like? Um, when marriage is hitting on all cylinders, it could be a real blessing. Uh, Karen and I have worked on this for years, and we've actually found the secret. I'm just going to give it to you for free. We've discovered, <laughs> yeah, we've discovered the secret to a perfect marriage, and here it is. Are you ready? It's to let me buy little gadgets or technology whenever I want. <laughs> That's it. That's the secret. You're welcome. When we figured that out, everything just came into focus, and she's rolling her eyes at me right now. Um, <laughs> No, but listen, we, we think that marriage, uh, we, when we get married, and I was certainly guilty of this, we think that marriage is about me, weirdly, right? It's like, oh, this person makes me feel great. This is all about me. She's going to make my life easier. We're going to work together. I'm going to have a great house to live in. I'm going to have more money, and there's going to be more stuff, and I'm going to have companionship. <laughs> and, and we look at marriage through the, through the benefits to ourselves. A lot of us do that, Right? But the reality is what marriage is designed to do, it's a master's class on being less selfish, <laughs> right? And so there, there are two things that I think, there are lots of good things about marriage. Two things I want to focus on in, in the context of Romans is one, being selfless, two, being encouraging, right? So if marriage is a master's class in being less selfish, people who do that in marriage, they do really, really well. The people who don't struggle. And we see it all over scripture. In Ephesians 6, it talks about it talks about um, wives and husbands relating to each other, and it says this, and no one freak out. Just, just hang with me for a minute. Wives, submit to your husbands. You know, take, take a real loving heart towards him. And then it says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Forget, forget about the submission thing for a second. Forget about, you know, loving like Christ loved. Think about the heart and the position of that for a second, right? I, I mean, just take a big step back. What is he saying? Wives, it's not about you, right? It's about your husband, Focus on him and what he needs and, and, and what will bless him and what will, be, what will make his day better. Husbands, forget about it. Forget about yourself. Focus on your wife. What can you do today to make her life better, to make her day better, to make her job better, to make her relationship with the kids better? I mean, what can you do? And, and if you will set aside your own stuff and focus on the other person, this is the cool part. If both people do that, both people are selfless, Right? they find that their needs are met. Their hearts are full, even though they're giving themselves away. And when both people are selfless, it's this amazing recipe for success. And every, with everything, with physical intimacy, it works really well. With financial stuff, with decisions, big decisions. If I'm focused on, if we're each focused on each other, it, 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 just, it just kills conflict. It just kills it. I mean, and you find yourself in agreement about so many things. Life goes so much better when we look to each other. And God loves us that way, right? That's the kind of marriage that we have with Christ. Philippians says that he emptied himself. 
He's the king of the universe, right? Worthy of all glory and honor and power and praise and everything. But that wasn't what he demanded from us, right? He actually emptied himself. He became a servant. A servant to who? A servant to you and to me and to Karen and my little girl, right? God actually emptied himself and became a servant. He made it not about himself. He made it about us and reached across the aisle to us. And so when we're in that kind of relationship, it's really easy for us to respond, right? It's really easy for us to respond in gratitude, to respond and be less selfish ourselves. It's not a thing to be generous to the poor when God has given you everything, right? In the light of the cross, Jesus giving his whole life away, it's easy for us to give some time to someone who needs it that we don't want to give. It's a small thing. Do do you see it? It's a way of approaching the requirements of the law, this will, this will be the weirdest thing I say today. The law becomes a honey-do list, right? In some, in some sense. You know, there, there's a list of things that would, would be great. And we don't do them because it's a requirement. We don't do it because, you know, we have to and we don't like it and uh, we knuckle down. And it's like, no, we do it because we want to please the one we're with. And it becomes easy. It becomes easy to go even further than the law would require. Selfless. Good thing. Um, encouragement. As I mentioned before, the weight of marriage and the cool thing about marriage is the words that we speak, the things that we say, the attitude that we take can be a real blessing. And so there's a friend of mine uh, named Bob McDaniel. He's in Oklahoma and he does these wedding um, conferences and workshops all over the country. He's a really cool guy. One of the things that he does is he's written this little little book and, and he encourages uh, spouses to kind of speak scripture over their over their spouse. And so I just want to do this with Karen just for a second. So basically they take in scripture, you just add Karen's name to, she loves it when I draw attention to her. So by the way, she just loves this. So this will be quick. This will be quick and relatively painless. So uh, Proverbs 16, Karen commits her works to the Lord and her thoughts are established, <laughs> right? As Karen goes, God will be her mouth and will teach her what she has to say. From Exodus 4, from James 1, Karen is swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. That's very true, by the way. Psalms 138, the Lord will perfect that which concerns Karen. (laughs) The peace of God that surpasses all understanding guards Karen's heart and mind through Christ Jesus. I praise you (laughs) that Karen is fearfully and wonderfully made from Psalm 139. The Lord establishes the work of Karen's hands, Psalm 90. Psalm 138, did not forsake the work of Karen's hands. Psalm 37, Karen's steps are ordered by the Lord and he delights in her way. God's word that goes forth out of Karen's mouth will not return to her empty, but will accomplish what he desires and will achieve the purpose in Karen's life for which he sent it. Isaiah 55. And everything that I just spoke over Karen, God speaks over you. (laughs) right? The marriage that we have with Christ, the wonderful relationship we have with the gospel, God says amazing things about us, to us. It's this wonderful encouragement, this wonderful source of strength. Don't believe the crap that you hear about yourself every day. Don't believe the stuff that you dump on yourself every day. Believe what God says about you. Because listen, John 1 says that you are a child of God. Jeremiah 31 says that he loves you with an ever- lasting love. Zechariah 2, you are the apple of his eye. John 15, you're a friend of God. Ephesians 1, 2 Peter 2, you are blessed, chosen, called to declare his praise. Psalm 139 says that you're not an accident, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Colossians 3, 
<laughs> talks about your new life in Christ. You are redeemed, forgiven, set aside for amazing work in Isaiah 1 and Ephesians 1, right? In Romans, you're free, free, no kidding, free from the law of sin and death. He gives you power, Micah chapter 6, to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly before God. And the weight of marriage, the weight of the marriage to the gospel of grace that we're in, on our self-image, in our identity, it's an amazing source of power. God speaks incredible things over us that shape us, and we remember who we are in him. And listen, if you're considering being a Christian, you've been a Christian, you've stepped away, listen, it's a great day to plug in. God loves you. He is calling you. He is speaking wonderful things over you. Don't let this day pass before you say, yeah, I want to step back into that. That sounds really, really good to me. I've been doing this Jekyll and Hyde thing too long. I've been fighting Hyde on my own too long. The stupid potion, I'm done with the stupid potions. I need a different way, right? Put the old marriage aside. Let it be dead. Hook up to the new marriage with God. And when we catch how much, when we catch how much God loves us, the things that we do naturally out of love will be a blessing. Leaves the requirements of the law way behind. And what looks like extreme generosity, what looks like incredible sacrifice from the outside, <laughs> it's just a natural, normal response to God's love in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, I